sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. This morning, you may be seated. Thankful today that we can absolutely lean on Jesus this morning. One of the things I want to do before I get into the message is uh, Tuesday, uh, we had the opportunity to go uh, as a church, uh, I think, 32, 35 uh, people from Warren, and then uh, some people from a couple other churches went and served a thousand uh, construction workers at Blue Oval, and uh, had a great time serving, uh, giving out uh, devotionals, tracts, being able to share the gospel, giving out Bibles, uh, just a great opportunity, and, and out of that opportunity has uh, come the opportunity to start a Bible study over in that area with some construction workers. And so uh, thank you if you went. Uh, can we give the people that went a big hand? Um, so often in the church, uh, I just think at times all across the land, we uh, don't celebrate wins. And for me, uh, that was an amazing win for the church, uh, to look around and see all of Warren uh, Community Church uh, the body show up in such a big way on a day that they didn't have to. And so thank you, uh, and I know that uh, this opens up many more doors uh, for us as well. Well, today we're wrapping up uh, the uh, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, I don't know of any uh, better way to wrap it up than to talk about who we are in Christ, and that is overcomers. I hope that if you're saved today that you really do see yourself as an overcomer. Um, is the journey worth it? All right, there you go. Uh, Hebrews 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, the journey is worth it. And I believe what Paul says at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. And then he says this, finally. And then he says, there is laid up for me a crown. You know what? For him, it was worth it. For him, whatever he had to go through in this life was worth the journey. Um, the journey is worth it. Jesus is worth it. I hope you believe that. And eternity is definitely worth it. Uh, I love what Winston Churchill says in one of his famous speeches. That I don't, I'm not going to say the whole thing, just this part. Never give in, never give in. Never, never, never. Why? Because we're overcomers. Uh, and I love the fact that we're motivated not only by who we are, but whose we are in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm just going to kind of walk through 11, not going to do the whole chapter. We're going to hit certain verses and then kind of fill in the blanks. But 11.1 kind of kicks it off. Now faith, that's what we're talking about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, I am so thankful uh, Lord, I have never physically laid eyes on you. But Lord, because of what I know in my heart and the change that you've made in me, I know that you are who you say you are. And God, I long for the day that this faith really does become sight. God, there is coming a day where we will physically see 
you. But until then, God, we have a, an amazing life to live on this earth, uh, a life as overcomers, a life that you died to give us, a life that you came out of the grave so that we could live. So my prayer today, Father, as a church, is that we do not live below the standard of being overcomers. God, that we will live our lives, we will leverage every part of our life, our time, our resources, our abilities, everything that we can for your name. And that God, not only that, Lord, but that we will just uh, serve you uh, in the ways that you have laid out for us. But God, if there's people in here who, are, who have walked in today struggling, they've walked in today and hurt, God, they walked in today uh, with uncertainty. God, because of who you are, we know that they can overcome. So God, we just want to lay this time into your hands. God, and just let you do what you do. And God, that is... Uh, work in our hearts. Lord, we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, first thing is we're overcomers because of our faith. If you look in, in one, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And he starts out with now faith. And that word there in the, in the Greek means to completely trust or have full reliance on uh, to believe, to have confidence, literally uh, to trust. I love A.W. Tozer's definition of faith. He says, Faith is resting upon the character of God and asking no further proof than moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. Our faith is not based on anything but who he is, and the Bible tells us that he cannot lie, nor does he ever change. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this about Hebrews 11. True Bible faith is not blind optimism or a manufactured hope-so feeling. Neither is it an intellectual assent to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing despite evidence. That would be superstition. Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances or consequences. Circumstances may be impossible. Consequences may be frightening and even unknown, but faith says obey regardless. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11. First thing is we believe when we cannot see. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It uses two uh, parallel phrases, almost identical in, in what they say. And faith is not this idea. I was researching this week uh, on this, and I've heard this so many times in my life. Well, faith is just jumping off a cliff and knowing that God's going to catch you. Have you ever noticed that there's never been a testimony about that? It's because you don't make it. You don't jump off a cliff. It's not this blind faith. Faith is not that. What he says is faith is substance of things hoped for, and the word substance means assurance. So it is now faith is the assurance. I'm sure some translations even use the word assurance. Assurance is the idea of absolutely believing. That no matter what, I believe it. Why do I believe it? Because God said it. Assurance is the firm ground on which we stand. Uh, if you don't have assurance, you're on shaky ground this morning. But with assurance, with that kind of faith, 
I like to think of it as, as a as substance of things hoped for or assurance is living an abundant life versus just life. Right? As believers, I'm afraid that we settle for life and God has sent Jesus to what Jesus said, give us abundant life. So assurance is living an abundant life. Assurance is relationship over religion. Assurance is having that deep relationship with Christ versus just coming to church and checking the box and walking out of here feeling like you've done God some kind of great favor. Assurance or substance or this faith that we're talking about is living on earth as it is in heaven. It's tasting and seeing that the Lord really is good. Has anybody in ever tasted and just experienced that the Lord is good? I hope you have. I hope you can just say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, glory to God. Whatever phrase you want to use, if you've ever been saved this morning, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I pray that you live your life with that kind of faith and with that kind of assurance that no matter what, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. No matter what comes at me, no matter what I have to face, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good when the day that he saved me. It was the greatest taste and the greatest experience I've ever had in all of my life. And if you've ever tasted that before, you do not settle for anything less. Sometimes I wonder if the church has really tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because when you've done that, you won't settle for anything more or less than tasting and seeing that He's good. Assurance is living seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's us already seeing ourselves positionally in heaven with Christ. Assurance is a torn veil with absolute access to the presence of God. Assurance is a blood-soaked Savior hanging on a cross to pay a debt that you and I couldn't pay to be put into a borrowed tomb which today sits empty who is now seated at the right hand of God today speaking for our, on our behalf awaiting the day that the Father leans over and says, go get them. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of assurance that I have. That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of substance of things that I hope for. And then he goes on. And he says, not only is it substance of things hoped for, but it's evidence of things not seen. So substance is assurance. Evidence is conviction. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Because if you believe what I just talked about, it convicts you. It means it moves you. It's one thing to say, I believe that the Lord is good. It's another thing for me to be so convicted by it that I live by it. Because conviction can be defined as an outward manifestation of an inward assurance. What drives us to do what we do? It's because there's something inside of us that breeds this assurance called the Holy Spirit that convicts us to move and be motivated to live it outwardly. Really, at the end of the day, it's living what we say we believe, right? And here the example is Noah. And I just want you to think about that for one second. Noah was a fella, was a, was a dad, was a husband who lived in a time where things were terrible, and he gets this 
word from the Lord to go build an ark because it's about to rain. You want to talk about evidence of things not seen. It had never rained before. And so he starts building an ark. He wasn't building a sailboat. He wasn't building the next great fishing boat. The man was building an ark. Huge, massive thing to carry all the animals around and for his family to live in. And he's building it based on something that he had never seen called rain. And then he was preaching to all the people that like, hey, uh, destruction's coming. Judgment's coming. They're making fun of him. They're mocking him. They're laughing at him. And just be honest today, if somebody were to start building the ark in the field across the street, we would laugh too. Don't act that spiritual. Even though we've seen rain, you'd still laugh because there's not a river close by. Yet he did it. Why? Because he was so convicted by the word of the Lord that it moved him to action. Evidence of things not seen. I just want to ask you this morning, do you live with that type of conviction? Is the faith that you have or that I have, is it visible for the world to see? I hope so. I hope you have such blessed assurance that you can say, as Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. So then he goes on, So therefore I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. Do you live with that kind of assurance and that kind of conviction. Next thing is, as we strive to please God, look in verse 6. He simply says it, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe, what? That He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let that sink in. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible simply means that we do not have the ability within ourselves to please God. So if that's the case, that means our religion, our religious participation, our heritage, our money, our abilities, none of those things please God. Right? And we walk around sometimes as if our presence pleases God. Well, God, I did this for you, or I did that for you. And God is like, so? My son died for you. And without faith, it's impossible to please me. Without it, it's impossible. And, and he tells us how to do it. He says, one, believe that he is. God's existence is absolute. You can amen that, owe me that, whatever, but it's just truth. And it's not subjective truth. It is absolute truth that God is. He never came into being, and he's never going out of being. Uh, he, he claimed, his, his claim in Exodus 3, I am who I say I am, changed the trajectory of the entire world. God is not becoming, God is not growing, God is not changing. 
To please him, though, is then to embrace his existence. This is the best done. How is it done? When we reflect him in our lives. How do you know that someone believes in the Lord? It should reflect. Because how do you believe in a God that is so powerful, that is so amazing, that is so loving, and if you really believe or embrace him, it will change your life. And if it changes you in that way, then what? People see it. I've heard it said this way. Um, you're not going to walk out on 64 Highway and get hit by an 18-wheeler and not change the way you look. Then how in the world are you going to come in contact with God and not change who you are? See, it changes us. Why? Because we believe. And if you have a relationship with someone like that, it changes you. And then he says not only that, believe that he is, but he's also a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. Do we, do you, do I seek God? Uh, when we seek God, it's an overflow of who he is. We seek him and receive forgiveness. We seek him and we get a new heart. We seek him and have abundant life. We seek him and have peace that passes all understanding. So then we strive, what, to please God. I hope today that in everything you do, that it's striving to please God. God, the conversations I have, the way I handle myself, Lord, the way I handle myself when I'm mistreated, Lord, I pray that that would be a reflection of you living inside of me. And then we trust in God's promises. 11, 11, look at it. It says this, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had what? Promised. Now, her faith wavered, we know that, because the first time God came to her and said that she was going to have a child, she laughed at God. And then she even went ahead of God. But her faith, even though it wavered, it was solid in this moment. John MacArthur says this about this particular passage. Faith is powerful. Faith sees the invisible, hears the incredible, touches the intangible, and accomplishes the impossible. Some faith is all talk and never really gets down to action, but true faith is active, powerfully active. So you take a little bit of tour with Sarah. She was 90 years old when she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. Although her faith was weak at times, it was her faith that helped her, what, overcome. Now you got Abraham, who has a son, and now he's asked to sacrifice his son. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes for just a second. He's been longing, promised a son. The moment he gets the son, just a few years later, he's like, okay, now you're going to sacrifice him. And I got to thinking about that just this week. Abraham had to come to the place to believe that if God opened a dead womb, that God could open his son's tomb. That if, if Sarah could conceive a child at 90 then surely God was able to raise that same child from the dead if he sacrificed him. And this right here is just trusting in God's promises. And all these people that we talk about here in this hall of faith that we like to call it, they were looking forward. The Bible says they were looking forward to the promise. What was the promise? A promised redeemer that would come. And they believed and they looked forward even though they couldn't see it. They still believed. And it's amazing to me 
that they had the, the ability through faith to look forward to something that had never happened, and yet in the church we can't even look back to history and believe. We have evidence. We know that there's an empty tomb. We know that there was a man named Jesus historically that came. We know that he hung on a cross. We know that he died for our sins and that he rose again. And yet we still struggle to believe the promises of God. But they believed. And Jesus did come. And Jesus is the Redeemer. So we trust in God's promises. Then we endure all our trials. And when you read 30 through 40, it just talks about thing after thing, person after person that went through all these struggles. I'll just pick up in 30 and just read through 40. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies. And then he says, What shall I more say? For the time would fail me of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness remained strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings, of scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, affected, tormented, and I love 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They endured so much. They endured far more than we would ever even could think. And I wish I could stand here today and promise you that if you, got, if you get saved, that you would live a life without trials, a life free of suffering. But just the opposite's promised to us. We are actually promised in the Word of God that whenever we follow Jesus, we will face persecution. We will face trials. We will face suffering. And the thing is, is it's all for a purpose. And so I, I just want to turn over to 1 Peter because it ties into this whole idea of the faith. In 1 Peter 1, I just want to read a few verses and then we'll kind of jump back. But I want you to think about this. One of the phrases there in the end of 30, uh, like 36 or 37, it talks about how they wandered around in sheepskin and goatskin. And Peter's writing in 1 Peter to the church, and he's writing to these people who are facing severe persecution and suffering. Nero was an absolute psychopath leader. The guy killed his mom, killed his first wife, killed his second wife. Wanted to, re, wanted to rebuild Rome. They wouldn't let him, so he burnt the city. But he blamed the burning of the city on the Christians at the time, that passionate little group of people. And because of that, they began to be persecuted even more than they were already facing. 
One of the things he did when it talks about it, and he, they wandered around in sheep skin, that he would literally put them in animal skin, lock them in a cage, turn wild dogs loose in the cage, and at his drunken parties, laugh and watch as the dogs literally rip these Christians apart. And then he would dip them in wax, tie them to trees, set them on fire, while his parties were going on to light up the night sky, laughing at them. And, and Peter's writing to this group of people going, Hey, all this is for your good and God's glory. What do you think about that? Like, these are real people. These are not fictional characters. These are our brothers and our sisters that one day we will stand around the throne of God together and sing, Worthy is the Lamb. They, are, they live and breathe just like us. And they were being absolutely tortured to death because they followed Jesus. But they endured these trials. Now, I want to just wrap up this first part of this. Today is your blessed day. I only have two points. I don't have three or five, just two. I want to wrap up this first part by just talking to maybe two groups of people that's sitting in here this morning. Maybe like you walked in here and you're enduring some difficulties right now. Like maybe it took everything that you had just to get up this morning and put your clothes on and come to church. Maybe you didn't want to come in and face anybody this morning. Maybe you really are going through those struggles. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe it's tension in an important relationship. Maybe you have a child that's moving in a direction that you know is going to lead to pain. Maybe it's an emotional issue or an addiction. Maybe it's just something that you're struggling through personally. And maybe you just walked in a day and it took everything you could just to come in. And right now, you are just sitting here in this room, literally struggling. Can I tell you something? In Jesus, you are an overcomer. You can and will overcome in Jesus. Maybe you're not in a trial yet. I've been told my whole life, Three things. Either you are in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or are you getting ready to go in a trial? But when you look at First Peter, it kind of makes sense. Notice what he says in verse 1 of First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the what? Strangers, or pilgrims, or sojourners, or aliens. He said that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is talking to a group of people, and this is what he's telling them. No matter how hard things are, no matter how difficult things may be, you're facing death, you're facing being tortured. He says, but you are just passing through. He's telling them that you're not of this world. And although you're suffering, it is a temporary suffering. Why? Because you are not citizens of this world. And he's writing to them to encourage them. And notice, he says something in verse 6. He says, "...wherein you greatly rejoice, 
Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold and perish, that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He says, I know you're going through it. I know that it is difficult, and I know that you maybe even want to run. He says, but this trial is going to come for your good. And if you'll just stay strong in your faith, it's going to bring glory to the Lord. Do you think that about your trials when you're suffering? Do you think that about the things that you may be facing that get this going, God, one, I'm just passing through. I'm just a pilgrim. I don't, I don't even belong here, so this, this that I'm facing, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, it's just a simple little, hey, I'm passing through. Why are we overcomers? Because we're different. How are we different? Because we don't belong here. This world is not my home. It's an old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. He says, hey, I'm just passing through. And because we're just passing through, listen, we're different. I pray this morning that you're different than the world. I pray that your values are different, that your morals are different, that your belief system is different. We should be different as moms and dads and husbands and wives. We should be different in the way we raise our children, the way we relate to people, the way we handle ourselves, the way we spend our time, the way we serve, the way we worship. Why? Because we are different and we are overcomers. So you may be facing one of the most difficult times in your life. But I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Wake up this morning, look at your neighbor, and look at them and say, I'm an overcomer. Come on. Look around, wake up, I'm an overcomer. If you believe it, if you don't believe it, don't say it. I'm an overcomer. I'm not an overcomer because I'm anything special, because of anything I have or the abilities. I'm an overcomer by the blood of Jesus Christ in an empty grave and a Savior who is seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm an overcomer because I have put my faith and my trust in Him. You're an overcomer because of that. And then you go to Hebrews 12. And the second part is we're overcomers because of what we see. Notice what 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which does easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience that is set before us, looking where unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Romans 12, 1 is basically a rally cry. It's a trumpet call. And he's saying, hey, run this race. He's saying, get serious about this race. And I just have a very important question to ask Warren Community Church this morning. Are you running the race or are you coasting? There's a difference. Running the race means you're in it. 
and you are striving and you are running to win the race. Coasting is just sitting back with the mentality, I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I'm going to sit back until I go to heaven. That's coasting. We need runners. We need people who will throw off their weights and their sins and they'll get in the race and they'll run. We need people who will put off worldly things and make their mind up to follow Jesus. We need people who will pray without ceasing, who will hide God's word in their heart, who will reckon themselves dead to sin, who will pluck out the eye of lust, flee fornication, cut off the hand of covetous, yielding our members to the word of God, following Jesus in everything that we do. Run the race. And how do we run the race? Well, he tells us we look back to our witnesses. Notice what he says in 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses. If you've ever played sports, you understand this analogy. And the thing is, is it's not that, you know, that the crowd is necessarily, for me, just my interpretation of this, it's not that the crowd is necessarily there cheering you on as much as it is if you've ever played sports. I remember playing basketball at Fayette Academy, and one of the greatest things for me when I was playing is when I looked around the gym and I saw alumni there in the stands cheering us on, coming to support us. You know what it made you do? It made you play harder because they were watching. These are people who have already pass from this life to death, and they are there. And as you look around, when you're running and you're struggling and you're in pain and the trials are coming, you look up and you see Paul. Or you look around and you see your grandfather. Or you look there and you see a Jim Elliott or a Nate Saint, and they're all going, you can do this. See, we look back at our witnesses we're running the race. We look into the crowd, and it's literally them saying it can be done. We look and see the examples of faith and examples of perseverance. And just listen to this list. These are people who have already made it, if you want to use that term. David, who committed adultery and murder, finished the race. He's there in the cloud of witnesses. John the Baptist, who was super weird, he finished the race. He's there. John Mark, who most of the time when we talk about John Mark, we talk about him being a quitter. He left. He left the mission field because he got his feelings hurt. Guess where he is? He's in the stands cheering us on. Mary, the prostitute, she finished. Right? You could go on. Jonathan Edwards got kicked out of his own church. He finished. Stephen was stoned to death. He finished. Job, who suffered great loss, he finished. Uh, then I think about people like Adrian Rogers. I think about people like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, heroes of the faith. I think about my, my grandfather, who I can guarantee you would be on the front row going, you can do this. Looking back, that's how we run the race. That's how we persevere. And every one of us, when we close our eyes and think about it, there is somebody that comes to your mind that you think would go, hey, keep on running the race. We look back to our witnesses, but we also look up to Jesus. Notice what he says, looking 
Where? Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Man, that's great news because, one, he is the one who is the foundation of our faith from the start to the finish. He's the one who went to the cross, endured the cross, despised the shame, all the things that he said he did. He did that so we could be redeemed, and he is the foundation. He's the reason we run the race in the first place. But also, he's the one who is the perfect example because he came and finished the race that the Father gave him to run. And, and lastly, he's the giver and sustainer of our faith from start to finish. Uh, Hebrews 13, 21 says, May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through who? Jesus Christ. So we look back to our witnesses, we look up to Jesus, and then we look forward with joy. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, but what? For the joy of that was set before us. When we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see a person who, even though he endured the cross, he despised the shame, he did it with great joy. When we look at him, we should say, hey, I want to be like him. I want to go through, even though it's difficult, even though life is hard, even though there are struggles, if Jesus endured the cross with joy, if he was despised and took on the shame with joy, if he was afflicted and took it with joy, then surely I can take what I'm going through with joy. And so this morning, you can be an overcomer. And like I said, I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know what you're facing. But I do believe that the Lord strengthens us. I do believe that he is good and I believe with all my heart that he is faithful. I believe that he has a purpose, and I believe he has a plan. And I believe even though we go through things that we don't necessarily understand or even agree with, he still has a reason of doing it. Maybe it's to, to, to refine us. Maybe it's to draw people to the Lord. I don't know. But what I do know is I know God is faithful, and I know the journey's worth it. And you know, one of the things that we were told in seminary, which I disagree with, is in seminary we were taught, you really don't need to share personal stories out of the pulpit. You need to keep it just, you know, keep illustrations, just, you know, nothing personal. And I've even seen preachers who just won't share personal stories. I don't believe in that. I believe in authenticity, and I believe that we should share stories sometimes. Because the only way I can relate to the goodness of God is my own personal story. And to be honest with you, and you've heard me say this, my family, like right now, is going through one of the absolute hardest trials we have ever faced. And I don't tell you this to say, oh, I feel sorry. If you don't feel sorry for me, because what I'm about to tell you is joy. But I just wanted to share this with you because this is where this, this reality of Hebrews 11 and 12 hits me. Right where I'm at in this time of life. I believe that the Bible is applicable all the time and I believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But on the heels of Tiffany losing her parents, us losing two of the most amazing people in our life, her mom being probably at the greatest supporter 
that we had whenever we said we're giving everything up and following Jesus. Right on the heels of losing them, my dad, who is my hero of the faith, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia. Something that we kind of knew was going on. But for us, we have reference because that's what took Tiffany's mom's life was Parkinson's and dementia. We watched it. And so we're reliving this with my dad. And about six months ago, my dad took some medicine that took his dementia from mild to absolutely the doctor's words where it set it on fire. And so my dad went from kind of mild dementia to now my dad hardly even knows us. A trial. 53 years, he's preached the gospel. I would dare say that he's probably seen more people saved out of his preaching than I would ever think or imagine. And today, he can hardly hold a conversation. And when you look at your hero of the faith, and you look at how faithful he was to God all these years, sometimes you can't help but go, really, God? Of all the people? But you know what? You talk about Jesus, and he lights up. You talk about the goodness of God, and he smiles. And everybody that he has talked to over the last two weeks, you know the first thing you ask them? Are you saved? I just need to know if you're going to heaven. Because I'm going to be going soon, and I want you to be with me. See, I don't say that out of woe. I say it, it is a trial, but I say it because we have, are experiencing the goodness and the faithfulness of God unlike any other times in our life. I'm seeing a family brought close together. I'm seeing God use him even in his weakness. And I believe that if anybody belongs in Hebrews 11, it's my dad. Well, my dad would tell you he didn't belong there because you know what he says? Man, I just wish I hadn't have failed God. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I wish I could have done better, son. I wish I'd have preached a little more and told a few more people about Jesus. And I say that because it is a trial, but guess what? My dad's an overcomer. You know why he's an overcomer? Because of Jesus. Dementia don't hold power over my dad Parkinson's don't hold power over my dad. Death does not hold power over my dad. God is the one who gave him life and will continue to do so. So he's an overcomer. And no matter how this plays out, we've already settled in our heart that it's temporary. That we're just pilgrims passing through, and you know what? One day we're going to be together regardless, and we're going to be together forever. And I say all that to say, I, I don't know where your trial is. I don't know if you're in one, if you're coming out of one, if you're going in one. I don't know if you're ready to throw in the towel, if you're questioning God. I don't know all of that. But what I do know is our faith is in not what we see, but our faith is in who God is. And our faith rests on what He has done on the cross. And I just came this morning to encourage you no matter what you're going through, if you'll take a step toward God, He'll take a step toward you. The Bible tells us that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And what I'm learning in these days is God's really 
really close. Because you know what you do? You find yourself just drawing near to Him. So I don't know what you need to do this morning. I don't know if you need to just draw near to God. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know this. He is faithful. And He is worthy. And the journey is worth it. Because one day, all of this is going to be passed. And we're going to be standing around a throne singing praises. That song we sang a while ago, just as the angels cry holy. We're going to be there singing, and the angels are going to have to take a step back, and they're going to have to listen to us for a little bit. And that's reality. That is substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen, but that is as real to my heart today as me singing that song a while ago. And today, if that's not real in your heart, Today, if that's not something that you are assured of, something that you're convicted of, I would invite you today to come and meet this man named Jesus who gave his life for you. I would say come. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, no matter what struggle you may be facing, the final answer comes from a man named Jesus. And why would we not put our faith in him. So as we close this morning, I just want to invite you, if you need to come, you come. If you need to, from one side of this church to the other, get on your knees and just spend some time alone with Jesus, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Whatever you need to do this morning, you come. Is every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray. Brother Gary is going to lead us this morning. Whatever it is that you're facing. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not excluded from it. Some of the greatest names in the Bible are in Hebrews 11, and they face some of the worst trials you could ever face in your life. Yet they believed. And so we're not excluded from heartache. We're not excluded from pain. We're not excluded from troubles. We're not excluded from trials. But the difference in us and the world is because of Jesus we overcome. And today you can walk out of here an overcomer of whatever it is you're going through. So Father, we just come to you. God, we give this moment to you. God, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, we look to you, the one who, who spoke us into existence, who created us, who formed us, who died for us, who loves us. God, we just come to you this morning. And God, we pray, Lord, that whatever work that needs to be done in the hearts of everybody in this room today, God, that you would do it. That today, God, we would draw near to you. God, God, you're worthy, and you're worth it. So, Father, we just give you this moment. And this morning, as you just stay seated, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, if you need to come to the altar, you come. If you need to pray where you're at, you pray. 
as we sing a song that's just thanking Jesus for everything that he's done for us. If you need to come, you come. Father, we just lay this at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. 